Yeah, yeah, we could um, talk about Alex all night. We can. We can talk about a lot of stuff. We have to catching up to do. It's been like two years, right? Yeah, two years. Uh, we did have a really excellent interview the first time around. Uh, we got very deep into it, but I should probably start off by just asking you how you've been. Is there um, anything currently going on that you'd like to touch on? Well, a year ago, I finished a movie, a three-and-a-half-hour movie that's available on Vimeo titled The Smiley Face Killers, who is abducting, torturing, and murdering young college-age men in the U.S. and U.K. So I put that out about almost a year to the day uh, in October of last year, and I've had very good reviews. You can check out the reviews on my video, Vimeo page, V-I-M-E-O. Uh, just look up Smiley Face or William Ramsey, and the movie will come up. But uh, people can rent it for 5 bucks. I think it's reasonable, or purchase it for 12 um, And there's tons and tons of information, but I think... It's an important movie because these men have been inaccurately uh, t- titled or or put in a box where they supposedly accidentally drowned. And I make the case that they were meant to look accidentally drowned, but they were actually murdered. So that's the kind of gist of the whole movie. And it's a large number. It's like 50... There's probably 100 to 200 cases, if not 300 of these types of cases in the U.S., U.K., and all over the world. Uh, what, what, uh, could you give us kind of the um, whole story of how it started and, and how it uh, started to come under public attention? Absolutely. There were two original police officers, Duarte and Gannon, out of New York City, that noticed that there was this pattern of young men being found in water, particularly in New York. There's a lot of cases in New York. And then another professor by the name of Gilbertson, and this started happening in the 90s. So they actually put out a book called Case Studies in Forensic Drownings, which is a superb book. Um, there were also a couple of journalists, this one girl, Christy Peel, that kind of started covering these cases. And <clears throat> they noticed this pattern. So they did a very forensic look into many of these cases. Notice that some of these young men, you know, they were being abducted in college towns, uh, and there was a high prop, high preponderance of GHB, which is an endogenous uh, substance in the human body, but in large doses, it causes uh, blackouts, kind of like an extreme drunk state, but people become very pliable. It's also known as the date rape drug. But those guys were really the original... Um, original guys, they actually just did a, an interview recently. I hadn't been able to contact them uh, while I was doing the research for my my film, but they were the originals, and uh, that was really kind of the baseline. And I, as I was, I, the reason I got into what was known as the Smiley Face Killers is because I was researching Aleister Crowley, and I kept noticing the Smiley Face associated with a lot of these occultists. Alan Moore uses it in this Watchmen movie, and I wanted to know the meaning. I wanted to know why these people had this smiley face. I wanted to know why there was an occult meaning, because I do believe that there's a surface meaning, but there's also an occult meaning. And I think that Alan Moore actually explains it very concisely within the Watchmen uh, comic book and movie, and that is that life is a big joke. It doesn't matter what you do. And actually, if you watch the Watchmen movie, the introductory scene is the uh, consists of the murder of the comedian who went to Vietnam and killed people indiscriminately and enjoyed it. So I do believe that theme is associated with this span of killings. I do believe the people committing these crimes are, are thinking about it. You know, they're not casual, like, uh, lust criminals or somebody who 
you know, just commits a murder in a random way. I do believe these are planned events, and they they have things figured out from the beginning and the end. So the smiley face killings, there's been some excellent research. There was uh, a book called, or there's a website called Footprints at the River's Edge, I believe, that, that followed all these cases. And there's just an incredible amount of cases through multiple jurisdictions. And so what I did is so I started researching and I talked to a variety of different people who looked into these cases differently. They saw things in Boston. They saw things in New York. There was one girl called Elite, and her name was Elise Soper. And you can listen to these on the YouTube, my YouTube channel, William Ramsey Investigates, if you're interested. But she actually made a post about the suspicious drownings that happened in Boston alone. And her um, blog just spiked. Everybody was interested. Like, yeah, there's something wrong here, you know. But she saw it from, saw this phenomenon from her place at Boston. She did an excellent job. And I, I researched, I, I interviewed her. But there's another guy, Jerry, Gary J. out of the Manchester. They call this phenomenon the pusher. And he's putting out a documentary very soon. I think by the end of the year, I'm featured in it talking about the subject because I researched the Manchester cases and the Bristol cases, um, which is in kind of the southwestern part of the UK. But, um, you know, so I, I saw little pieces and really my chief researcher was Jim Smith. And we kind of just crossed paths probably two years ago as we were both researching it. And he's, he's still researching these cases to this day. And has done a superb job kind of uh, organizing things like that. But he uh, also saw this pattern. So really my goal was to, I really just wanted to figure out, is this really happening? Is this, um, are these cases legit? And after my research, you know, I started watching these men disappear and then being found in water. And probably one of the first ones was a case by the name of Joey LeBute out of Columbus, Ohio. And he disappeared. And for 18 days, nobody knew where he was. And I was following that case day after day watching developments and then his body was found in the Scioto River in Columbus, Ohio and that case was actually featured on a very popular true crime podcast called True Crime Garage and I've talked to those guys about that case in particular but like many of these other people analyzing these suspicious water deaths they only see I believe they only saw the smaller picture and my film tries to encapsulate the larger picture to show that these types of cases are happening all over kind of the Western world. And, you know, so that was really uh, an interesting kind of true crime. I've written another true crime book about the West Memphis Street case and my take on that case, which was not uh, very popular. Um, but um, I do think that it's an important, this, this, what's known as the Smiley Face Killers, the reason it got its name by Gilbertson again is because they saw a correlation between these spray painted smiley faces that were close to the scenes of these crimes. And, there was actually one case where, and it was out of Michigan, this young man, somebody put a smiley face on his gravestone two years after the day. So that's how this kind of phenomenon got the name Smiley Face Killers. And I actually kind of got involved saying, well, I want to discount the connection between this symbol and these, these cases. And I really couldn't because they were still showing up. There was another case out of Boston by the guy by the name of Zach Marr, whose people found a spray-painted spray painted smiley face. He disappeared out of the downtown area he was kicked out of a bar and uh yeah so it's a very dark tale and I, I do not believe in all of the cases i cover about 50 cases in my documentary and i believe that every single one of those cases was somebody who was met by misadventure and did not die accidentally still there oh, sorry That's i had okay. a 
audio issue in the background i had to turn off real quick uh one thing i wanted to ask about the smiley face killers uh this is very perplexing of course uh, and very mysterious these smiley faces um you said they were given a drug how could this is this was not a sexual thing they weren't raped well that's a great question i believe that that is the primary motivation for these cases so i kind of just wanted to get the word out i don't they're not what's not there is any financial uh, crimes you know there's no Somebody doesn't go to their ATM and steal their money. So I think that the, 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 if you look at the pool of the victims, they're almost all kind of within, they have a low body mass index. They're very generally athletic, good looking. So I do believe that they fit a type that certain predators are interested in. So that's why they're young college age men. I believe they're college age men because they're much more vulnerable after leaving home at 18, living out by themselves and being out late at night. So I do believe that these predators and in different in different jurisdictions hunt for these men late at night at bars and um you know some are drugged and some aren't there was a case out of boston a guy by the name of kelleher he came out of uh, a boston celtics game and called an uber and disappeared and he looked pretty good i mean the thing is if you watch my movie you can tell that a lot of these men are not stumbling drunk some are but some are definitely upright but he um he walked out and they pinged his cell phone going the wrong direction from his house. He was at this park called Paul Revere Park. So, you know, that was one case that was high. high and there was another case that happened nearby there called a guy by the name of Hurley. Same thing. He was waiting for his girlfriend to pick him up, pick her up. And he was just sitting there on a corner and disappeared, literally disappeared right from a ball game. And then was found in the river. Both Hurley and Keller are found in the same part of uh, the river there in Boston. So, I do believe that these are uh, lust crimes. They're not financial crimes. And they do kind of, I mean, most of the earlier cases were all kind of white people, but I think there's been some other cases that involved, you know, people Hispanic, people of Asian background, um, some African-American. So it's, uh, the pool isn't specifically all, you know, white Westerner types. And I believe earlier you said they were tortured, right? Well, I do believe they're held. I don't know the full extent of the torture of every individual, but there are, there's evidence that there was a kid named Hart out of Rhode Island who clearly had signs that he was tortured. Uh, they're really the one of the earlier cases that Gannon and Gilbertson keyed in on was this young man named McNeil out of New York who was found in a water treatment facility in the south part of the Hudson uh, Bay. And he, um, once the, the parents didn't know what happened to him, but once they got the autopsy, it showed that he had been blowtorched on the upper part of his body. I think he had chipped teeth and uh, element of a hammer claw to his head as if oh, somebody took a hammer. Yeah, so it, what, uh, what a very famous forensic pathologist by the name of, oh, now it's escaping me, but he said that it looked like somebody he had been restrained before he was tortured, which is why. The upper part of his body showed those. Cyril Wecht is the, um, he's a famous kind of forensic. He's worked on the JFK assassination. But, uh, so he looked at this case and said, look, this guy's tortured. So I do believe that many of these cases, the reason why, one of the inter one of the puzzling phenomenon of these cases is these men will disappear and then there will be a massive search. There will be a search for two, three weeks looking. There were uh, water teams uh, sniff dogs like hound dogs and some of the hound dogs will find traces of the scent but oftentimes these men disappear and then reappear 
in areas that had already been previously searched. So I do believe that abduction is a form of torture and they're kept somewhere alive for a period of time before they're uh, murdered and then put in river. There was a case out of Pittsburgh, I believe it's two years ago, what last year, maybe it was 2017, his name is uh, Dakota James, was missing for 40 days, and when they found his body, the place where they found his body had been searched the previous day. Cyril Weck, by the way, lives in Pittsburgh, so, uh, you know, I got some info, well, yeah, so that case he, he looked into too, so uh, that's a hyper-suspicious day. Where is the body for 40 days? Now, a, a normal body decomposes, you know, at a prior, when people deceased, they decompose. And oftentimes in water, they'll float to the surface or they're easily found, uh, generally found. And where was this person, Dakota James, for 40 days? Why wasn't he found after a serious search of the, I think it's the Ohio River. So, um, and that's the, that's the same. And if you watch the documentary, I tried to emphasize that theme by looking at you know all of these police officers say we just checked there yesterday oh yeah we looked for him why didn't we find him there's another case out of uh, pennsylvania the young man was at a bar in maniunk and his name uh, escapes me right now but he was found in four feet of water but the water that had been previously checked that that men had walked down and watched it so why wasn't he found in an obvious place um so yeah, so these that's that's like the uh, you know uh, his name was Shane Montgomery out of Maniunk, uh, Pennsylvania, and there's a lot of cases in Pennsylvania. They're definitely hot spots: Pennsylvania, uh, Philadelphia, New York, uh, the college towns in in the far north of Wisconsin and Minnesota, and you know so it's definitely and there's but there's been cases out there's been cases in Atlanta, California, Portland, a lot of cases in Portland. Um, so this phenomenon, it's, uh, you know, it's important to get that warning out if you're a younger man drinking at a bar because like women know that they could be drugged at a bar, but men are oblivious that they could be victims. And I think a lot of these men who were victims never saw it coming. You know, they had no idea that some, there was a predator that was sussing them out. And there's actually been stories that have come to my attention of men, uh, telling stories, being in a bar. Um, some guy comes up to him, starts asking questions, um, you know, what's your name, you know, getting, trying to get a background, like they're trying to get information on these people. And one of the interesting things about these cases is that none of these, very few, I don't think there's anybody of all these cases who was famous or had political connections, which I find, you know, rather remarkable. So it's almost like somebody doesn't want somebody who does family isn't powerful to figure out what's going on. You know, they want somebody from a middle-class kind of family. So and do the bodies show that they had been raped? Well, that's a great question. And I think that I don't have access to the autopsy reports. Uh, those are family matters. It actually is hard for the families to obtain the autopsies, but um, there's been no real look into whether there's, there's evidence of rape on these bodies. And I think, you know, it's interesting. Since I put out the movie a year ago, I, 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 I wrote in my, my summary that... You know, I, here's a quote. Federal and state authorities should assume any body of a young man found in water who disappeared after a night out has more likely been murdered than died accidentally. So I think that that was the, the why the, these cases be, got away with it is that they the police looked at these bodies and said, oh, it must have fell in the water and drowned, right? Instead of 
uh, misadventure. So if their cops are looking at it that like away, an accidental surrounding, not a murder, they're not going to take evidence. You know, they're not going to look at the scene. And uh, within the last year, some of these men who were found in water suspiciously are now the cops are actually the police are actually. Uh, there was a case where was it? I think it was Atlanta, where the cops said, "Oh, well, this is a very suspicious death. We're treating it as a suspicious death," which was very different than than before. So I think uh, really some of these other cases, like Joey Labute, the co- the police actually said, "We don't know how he got in the water," and it was interesting. Joey Labute, when he died, he was at kind of a bar that was associated with gay bar. He was involved. He was he was gay. He was on some kind of dating app, like a men's dating app. Uh, so he was communicating, but on that weekend, there was, um, a bodylifting tournament called the Arnold Schwarzenegger Classic. So there's a potential that the, the person who, you know, was involved in Joey Labute's death flew into town, you know, crime was committed and left. It would have to be a pretty, well, maybe not necessarily, but it, it seems like it would have to be a big, strong individual. You know, potentially, if you look at the, uh, you know, not all these men are huge. They're not, I would say they're more on the slider side. So, you know, there's a lot of ways people can get, get in trouble. I mean, if they're drugged and people know they're drugged and I've always, you know, I thought some of these bartenders and some of these other people might be involved in these cases. So it's not outside of the realm of possibility that they get slipped to Mickey. And I include in my documentary cases where guys like woke up under the train. There was a guy who woke up in a very strange place and they took him to court. The police did to charge him something. He said, be careful and watch your drink. Cause I don't even know how I got there. You know? So, you know, there, uh, these things are potentials, you know? So, yeah. And it really highlights the danger of something that I really try to avoid, which is going out to places like clubs and bars by yourself, because, uh, that just, it puts you it turns you into a huge target really yeah. yeah it's a great point and a lot of these cases are associated with uh fetish clubs or something like that there was one guy out of washington dc who was at a bar that sidelined is also a bdsm bar right so uh, when he died he was found up river his name was arvin sharma it was a strange kind of a he was a nepalese so he was from nepal kind of uh, in the northern part of india this country in between India and China, but he, um, when he was dead, his brother said something to the the public. He said, Arvin must have been somewhere or saw something he shouldn't have seen, you know? So, um, yeah, so he was, I think that he, he got separated. There's a lot of these stories where somebody gets separated from their friends, they get kicked out of a bar and then things go wrong. So, uh, there is a lot of danger. And, you know, if you look at the, the documentary I made, it's in different cities, different places where this happening. And I connect it to the kind of rise of the internet where information can be exchanged in the dark web and the rise of kind of uh, fetish, uh, which have probably always been there, but fetish sites like FetLife. And if you look through, I did some research, there was a movie on uh, Netflix called Kink. And there are sequences in there involving men where they're torturing each other with water, you know? So um, if that's, uh, you know, I do believe that that's that's a important uh, uh, factor in all these cases is this kind you, of you mean like waterboarding like there's a scene that I show in my movie where there's a dude in like a bathtub and a guy standing over him and just shoving his head in the water 
and it's be it's being filmed for like uh you know like gay gay porn but like you know it's just like that that to me is something that could be associated easily with all these cases is that they're pre-drowned somewhere else and then put in water that's uh you know really of course a really good point that you bring up because in recent years probably the last i don't know 5 7 years uh BDSM or S&M or or uh, uh B&D or whatever you like to call that it, is, it right. Yes, super mainstream, super accepted, super mainstream, and increasingly so as years go by. It's an interesting point, and I I think that that's something associated with these cases. And I actually, I don't want to ruin, like, my findings, but I found murderers in London and in the Northeast and traveling guys who were in bands who were into this stuff. Uh, Things that were actually, there was one video that really I keyed into that was a video called Broken that was associated with, um, sorry, uh, his name is Trent Reznor, and he, he had this, this underground film called Broken that is a sequence that shows the abduction, torture, and murder of a man, like in a, in a you know, underground environment. And I was like, man. This I'm assuming is... this is Trent Reznor of uh, Nine Inch Nails? Correct. Correct. Okay. So, and I don't know, this movie was like, people thought it was real, like it was very... Um, realistic, and so that was kind of what where the kind of light bulb went off in my head. Like this fits the sequence of this. It's incredible too because this young man that they abduct in the video looks like the standard SFK victim. You know, so you can I, you can watch that on my uh, film, which is overly long, but there's a lot of information there, three and a half hours. And that's um, that's another thing that it well. What I'm trying to say is nowadays everybody's so sensitive about uh, not saying anything bad about gays, it's discrimination, et cetera, et cetera. But th- there is a certain dark side where these men are having to go out, and because they are so ashamed of themselves and what they're doing, they go out alone. They don't tell anybody where they're going. Yeah, there's a lot of furtiveness, like uh, underground. And I, t- I tied this into this underground. And it's important to remember that heterosexuals do things just as bad to women. Men do it to women. There was a guy called the Love Box Killer outside of Truth and Consequences, New Mexico. He was at a bar. He had a team. He had people helping him where he would drug women, take them to this place, and torture them and kill them, and then dump them in the desert. They actually don't know how many people he killed. Um, But that was something similar to these types of cases. So that was a heterosexual case. And I do believe one of the mysteries and confusing aspects of these SFK killings is just like that. People don't understand this kind of subculture, so they don't comprehend what's happening to these men. I think that that's one of the things. But um, certain segments of the homosexual lifestyle are, are just as BDSM, just like men, you know, so or, or heterosexual. So uh, there was an interesting, you say that too, because I brought up, there was this movie that was done by the guy who directed um, The Exorcist. His name was William Friedkin, and he did a movie with Al Pacino, which a lot of people don't know about, but it's about, it's called Cruising. And it involved the hunt for a gay serial killer. Somebody who was killing gay men, I believe, in New York City. So Al Pacino plays a detective who goes underground and starts going to, like, these really, like, fetish gay bars. And it was uh, fast. It was fascinating to watch that because I felt like this was a correlation with these cases. But also, the history of that film brought tons of resistance. Like, really, the, certain members of that community came out and, like, protests protested the filming and disrupted it and all this stuff. So they're very, 
sensitive about some of the information that Friedkin was willing to put in the film, which is extremely graphic um, depictions of uh, some of these practices, like BDSM fetish practices. So, uh, you know, it, that that is, um, I think that, yeah, you're right. There, there is, and it, it's interesting, too, you bring that up, because there's a correlation. I studied a lot of these cases, and there's a significant number, probably 10 or 15 cases where these men are on grinder or something else you know i don't know what the other there's a couple other gay uh meetup sites or whatever but that's a correlation too so those things are very dangerous and i had people tell me you know it's really easy to spoof spoof a name and spoof a whole personality so you know if somebody's thinking about it if there's a serial killer they put up a fake you know name and also like i think you know uh, some people, these men get lured into something. They think they're meeting one dude, right? But, oh yeah, just come back to my place. It'll be just you and me. And then there's three other guys there and things go south, right? So yeah, some, but something like that. What's happening is they're, they're thinking with their private parts and they're getting so excited, they're ignoring the danger. Right. So they're lured in, lured by money maybe. The fact that they're college students too, maybe that they're financially vulnerable too is something I thought. So maybe they're lured something where else, somewhere else. So yeah, it's 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 really a, a shame, and there's a lot of uh, broken families and parents who've had their hearts ripped out. There was this, you know, I was telling you about Dakota James, but his family, you know, made a burial plot. I mean, it's, ter- it's just a terrible story, but they made a family burial plot, and here's their son who has died from what I believe was a murder, and all of the family parents' names and uncles' names are there. So he passed away before them, you know? So, and that's not the way, you know, God intended it. So it's just a, it's just a real heartbreaking shame. Some of these cases. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, I watched these cases. So I've probably watched Jim Smith has probably seen 20 to 30, at least men disappear, follow their cases and then watch them end up dead in water. So he's literally watched these murders take place. It's incredible. I've seen five or 10, you know, this list of like, dude, if this guy gets found in water, I'm going to freak out. There it is again. Oh man, found in water. I also have to wonder if this whole thing might be coming from the killer's uh, hate of his own sexuality. Like this is his way of expressing um, his own hatred towards himself for being a homosexual. Possibly, you know, they're, they're, that I wouldn't say that's outside the realm of possibility. There was a case that was very recent that happened in Toronto, and the killer's name was MacArthur, and he was a homosexual predator. And they, re- they caught him. There were men disappearing. There were actually a lot of, like, missing posters. There's tons of missing posters associated with these cases. And they were, that I, I included in my movie, you know, because people want to find these, these men. But this MacArthur guy, um, you know, gay bar, and he would, he was, bar- he was burying his bodies at the bottom of, it's pretty grim, but um, he was burying the bodies at the bottom of planters. So he would plant a tree above it, and that's how he got rid of bodies. But, you know, God only knows how many people that he murdered. And he could have been one of the smiley face killers. You just don't know. You know, somebody who's traveling around, you know, a predator. You just don't know. And to these people, uh, the body, there doesn't necessarily have to be a rape because uh, the act of stabbing or torturing, that is a sexual thrill to the murderer. Or, yeah, right. So tying somebody up, putting a gimp mask on them, you know, he's kind of like leather masks there's a lot of weird stuff and if you like i live in los angeles and there are definitely fetish bondage stores 
And uh, y'all look in the window and there's a gimp mask. Like, what the hell's going on? What are you, what are you guys up to? So, um, yeah, it's really dark. But I do believe that that's, that's the, the, the sum thing. And, and the victims aren't all necessarily gay. They fit a, maybe a gay ideal, but maybe only half, which is really a, an overwhelming amount. I mean, it shows that this is kind of like a homosexual crime if half the people who are victims gay. But um, it doesn't mean that all the victims are within that lifestyle. Yeah, there's uh, extremes going on, too, because there's plenty of people who practice these uh, BDSM things that don't take it to a bloody or extremely painful or grotesque extreme, either. Agreed. Yeah, I think it's a subset. There was was an interesting case here um, that was covered by, it was on the Ed Opperman report, and the guy's name was Skip Chasen, but he had some kind of, he was in Los Angeles. The interesting thing is the guy worked on big-time deals. He was very well-connected in one of these uh, law firms or agencies where he would do multi-million-dollar um, uh, movie deals involving huge celebrities, like A-list celebrities. But on the side, he was known as like Master Skip or Master Bob. He was into BDSM, and he had a home dungeon in Los Feliz, you know, this part of Los Angeles, where somebody died. Like, he liter- literally... Um, suffocated somebody to death and he kept his job went back to work you know they was termed an accidental death and that was that and it's incredible um the guy's name the journalist who covered that case it'll come to me but yeah so there's like another case where somebody accidentally like gets taken to that level where you know tortured to death here in la skip chasing you can look it up c-h-a-s-e-n do you feel like in most of these cases it's it's like the one you mentioned uh, where it's one guy or do you feel it's most likely um, small groups or even um, some sort of network of guys doing this? That's an excellent question. And it, I, I would say that it's all of the above. So I do believe that there are individual predators. I believe that there are group predators. And I do believe that some there may be communication through the dark web about this how they figured out this kind of M.O. Because at first glance, it's like the perfect crime. You take, you can, if you're, that's what your thing is, you can abduct somebody, put them in water and fool the police and nobody will follow up, right? Because he drowned or the kid drowned or he, you know, nobody really knows what happened. So I do believe that that's why there's this commonality, this similar MO that's happening in multi-jurisdictions is that somebody learned this MO, whether somebody's traveling between different, you know, um, BDSM places or something or they're communicating in the dark web there's some really dark stuff in the dark web oh yeah and another thing that's important to bring up about these BDSM activities is there's certainly always a phase where it requires you to put some sort of trust into the other person participating and that's a great time to take advantage of a person and when they're already tied up drug them or begin killing them or beating them or uh, that's why they have safe words and things like that because you're supposed to trust the other person right so that's master slave right so the slave is supposed to trust it's interesting that you brought that up because it brought to mind uh, John Wayne Gacy because um, he would he his thing was he liked young boys or whatever, 13, 14-year-old boys. But he would befriend them, super nice, get them to the point where they would trust him and he would put cuffs on them. Like, oh, it's no big deal. I'll show you. I'll show you where the key is, you know. He would lure them in and once he had the cuffs on, his whole personality changed. 
And that's when the kids got, you know, off. Stop again. God damn. Sorry. Um, uh, that's when things went south. So, you know, I think that some that phenomenon is, is possibly happening, something like that. We're like, oh, trust me, you know, everything will be fine. And it's interesting you bring that up because one of the MacArthur case that I was talking about out of Toronto, there were survivors or people who had been with him and said that he, you know, did things that were, he would take a person all the way to the edge of suffocating or death, you know. And oh, one of the fascinating things is the reason when he got caught, this MacArthur guy, the police busted in to his apartment and he had somebody tied up on the bed. He had somebody in bondage. Yeah, it's an incredible story. So I think that that's why the police actually broke down the doors. They thought he had another victim. So, yeah, that's just an incredible case. So so when you look at all these cases, and I include a lot of the potential uh, murderers, when you look at them all, you see these similarities. There's one guy, I'll, I'll tell you out of, the, out of the documentary, his name is Stephen Port. But he was on three, he was 40 years old. He wore like a wig. But he was, um, he had GHB just lying around his house all the time. And he was GHB being men. And he was on three different gay meeting sites. And, um, he would, he, his victims were all disposed in a church courtyard. He wrote fake notes and made them look like drug overdoses. But, uh, it was like watching, and one of the remarkable things about the port case is he got away with it over and over again, kind of like the smiley face killer cases, where nobody keys into what's going on. He got rid of it over and over again, and the way he got caught from doing this was the family of one of the victims wanted the CCTV video, which the police just overlooked, and they got the CCTV video of their loved one and said, who's this guy with Joe, you know, John? Who's this other guy? Who's walking with him? And the police are like, I don't know. Well, the family found out who it was and found out that Stephen Port was associated with other mysterious deaths, and that's how he got busted. So it, it that case, is, and that was very recent. I think it was a 2016 arrest. So God only knows what else he was up to when he was traveling. He said that there was a network of predators, um, and he had been doing it for like his life, like a long time. And uh, there was an inquest, like the way that the the Brits do it is if things go wrong, there'll be an inquest that study went wrong. And I think that like 25 people were censured or brought up for bungling uh, the port case because they could have stopped some of the deaths that happened. So, um, so there are, you know, potential killers out there. I do, I do believe there are serial killers, probably three or five or at least 10 or, or definitely groups. And I talk about groups in my documentary. So um, they're definitely uh, exemplars of these types of, of killers. Yeah, you know, I would hate to encourage anybody or anything like that, but the bottom line is that most of the killers that get caught right away, they get caught because they did something stupid. Um, a lot of these guys that give it a lot of thought, they, they target uh, homeless people, prostitutes, uh, in, in this case, uh, gay men at these BDSM bars and uh, meetup apps and sites and things like that. Uh, the, the guys that really give it a lot of thought, I, they they can kill 30 people, 60 people, even hundreds. It, it really boggles my mind how many people they're able to murder yeah it's, it's i mean look at john wayne gacy i mean how many people how many 35 known and he actually dumped a two of his victims in the river so he got to the point where he was he was disposing of bodies in a river um look at uh what is the name jeffrey dahmer kind of like a strange bondage lured people home and drugged them you know um so you, and he was homosexual so yeah so there's probably somebody out there who 
you know, I think if they ever catch him, they'll just, people will be in shock that this is, you know, this is a person who's killed that many people. And Gacy especially, John, John Wayne Gacy, he's he's always really bothered me. Just the whole idea of this overweight man dressing in clown makeup and then, uh, you know, s- scaring the shit out of his victims before he yeah. tortures them to death. That, that's just got to be one of the most terrifying things I can imagine. Much worse than the than the uh, Stephen King movie It because this guy was real. And, and, real. Yeah. yeah, he's doing worse things, really. Well, it's interesting you brought up the Stephen King movie It because right at the beginning of the film, there's a depiction of a smiley face. So that somebody within that film, either the director or the writer or somebody put that smiley face in right at the first minute of the film, they actually draw a smiley face on a steamed up window. And I was like, Oh, come on, man. Cause, because that's the theme. It's about killing without, you know, thinking it's fun. You know, the, the universe is a big joke, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, John Wayne Gacy is very disturbing too, because he was very social. He was like, the head of the Friars Club, you know, he was he was around tons of people all the time. There's a picture of him with Rosalind Carter, Jimmy Carter's wife, you know. So it's very disturbing. People think that he might have been networked, that other people were involved in those, you know. So uh, yeah, it really, really makes you have to ask certain questions because uh, when these networks do exist, they they kind of tend to uh, uh, take whoever got caught and turn them into the um, you know push it all onto them, so to right. speak. Well, that's a great point. I mean, they say that Berkowitz, the son of Sam Killer, could not have killed all those people. There were other people involved, but the police had a suspect, and that was it. This is our boy. We're done. You know, the murders are, are done. So that's like one of, you know, it's the ultimate evil was a book by Maury Terry that explained, hey, it's something else is going on here. And that happens in other cases. You know, you just there was the case out of the Dutroux case out of Belgium where all kinds of people were involved in this child abduction, horrible stuff, kept in dungeons, you know, um, raped, all that stuff. And some of the women died in these dungeons. So there are actually similarities between that case and I believe the SFK cases. But, uh, you know, it went all the way to the top. That whole case was suppressed. There was, like, people marching in the streets. The government almost shut down. And, uh, you know, you might find, well, yeah, I mean, part of the SFK, yeah. Part of these cases is super disturbing, and I do believe, yeah, I mean, yeah. Some, well, could, yeah could, some, these ones, yeah. could these ones have any sort of link to Satanism? Absolutely, absolutely, no question. I believe that that smiley face is used in a, you know, words have two meaning things. If you watch the documentary, you'll see the satanic, uh, you know, current that runs underneath these crimes. So yeah, it's really disturbing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very, uh, very powerful thing going on, especially considering that this Satanism, it seems to underpin just so many things out there, like the music industry, maybe even the government. It, it just seems that these satanic sort of lines just stretch in every direction. It's a good point. If you will look at like Selena Gomez or Miley Cyrus, they're outfitted in all these smiley face attire. You know, it shows up in all these places. If you research the Pizzagate thing that went down in D.C., some of those Instagram accounts associated with Alephantis' account had with people wearing the smiley face. So you, it's an underground symbol. It goes back to Burroughs, and, you know, uh, William Burroughs was a real crazy person. But I showed the 
the line from Burroughs through some of these other people whose names I don't want to mention, but they're in the documentary. And I actually spent about an hour in the documentary showing all the smiley face references in films, books, and, and music. So it's there. It's definitely there. I recall seeing it on uh, Nirvana shirts, I believe. Exactly. Nirvana. And where, where, do you know that Nirvana and Cobain spent time with William Burroughs and they made an album together? I, I just recently learned about that connection. Yeah. That's a whole world onto itself. Yeah, and there are pictures of them together. And then, and I want to—I'll give you a little, a little teaser. But I have pictures of who I think some of these perps were with William Burroughs in my documentary. Wow. Okay. Yeah. Interesting. Was he? Uh, did he have something like that possibly going on? Well, um, I mean, he killed his wife under suspicious circumstances. Supposedly, yeah. put an apple on her head. <laughs> but he was kind of, I think my understanding, I can't say I have a great knowledge of William Burroughs, but my understanding is he was like a multi, you know, sexual kind of occultist who knew about Crowley, knew about the 23 Enigma, which you see a lot around. Um, you actually can see the 23 Enigma and the smiley face in the movie Suicide Squad. The actual picture of Suicide Squad is a smiley face. They're all in uh, mm -hmm. together in the smiley face look, if you look at that. And uh, they they drive a bus twenty three the twenty three Enigma two thirds of one is six 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 right. And, so. and speaking of Suicide Squad, uh, to circle back to something you said earlier about these guys having a belief that uh, life is meaningless that that's pretty much the Joker by definition. That's right. What you exactly. That's exactly right. And you can you can look at Alan Moore the Killing Joke, and uh, you know all this stuff. Yeah. So. It's something I just came across within the last week, um, a song by Motorhead, which is called Smile As You Kill. So that's an interesting connection. So these guys in the underground know about some of these ideas, some of these concepts. But, yeah, it's uh, it's really incredible. A lot of people are in on it, you know, I do believe a lot of it. If you look at the sim smiley face symbology, you'll see it pop up all over the place. It's actually much more common, but it's there... I believe intentionally by a lot of these Hollywood elite types. Yeah, who would think something so sweet and innocent as a smiley face would actually be something related to Satanism? <laughs> not me, not me. That's the sinister aspect of it, right? Because it's just like a number, like Crowley's number is 93, and Satanists use it all the time because it equates to agape and thelema, but most people would look at 93 or 11, you know, the number of magic. They would just look at it and not know the secret meaning. But the insiders do, you know, people who've been initiated or stuff like that. So, um, yeah, you know, I've been waking up to a lot of this stuff recently. I used to hate a numerology and stuff like that. I just didn't understand it. But recently, I, I've come to understand that this is actually a hidden code that these people use to communicate with yes, each other. Correct, absolutely. I mean, that was the gist of my first book. That was the gist of my first book, Prophet of Evil, is that the numbers of the whole you know, 9-11 event, the date 9-11, the Twin Towers, the planes were all Crowley Thelemic numbers, you know. Can we go into that a little bit? Sure. Uh, this is just so fascinating. I know both the number 9 and the number 11 uh, do do symbolize something uh, in particular. Well, I'll let you go ahead and explain. Well, I don't know the totality. I know 11 very well, but 9, my understanding is that that's the power number. It's the highest number before numbers start revolving into power of two and um 
Michael, not Michael Aquino, was the other guy, uh, Anton LeBay, all of his power kind of concepts were laid out in the num- nine numbers because of nine is a power number. So you'll see that nine. And 11 is the number of magic. It's also symbolizes like certain negative energies within the Kabbalah. And it also symbolizes the coming together of the macrocosm and the microcosm, which are represented by the numbers 5 and 6. So 5 and 6 together equal 11, which is why Harry Potter's name is a 5 and a 6, and why his wand is 11 inches long, right? So he's got all these power magic. And these kids are being indoctrinated with this. They don't know the totality of it. But once they get older, if they get initiated, they'll figure it out. But 11 for Crowley was also the number of the new Aeon. He believed that it symbolized his idea of the ideal world. So it's a much more scary number because he believed that, you know, the new Aeon was a new cosmological change that would take place in humanity. Um, so when you see this 11th, September 11th, that's what, that's why that date, that's why I believe the people who did 9-11 chose that date. I don't think they even have a choice. Um, but, uh, so you see those numbers in 11, 77, 93, and 175. The reason 77 is important is it's, 7 is the number of the perfected man. 7 and 7 is like the union of two people, but, um, it also is the 77 infernal names of Satan, one of which name of the infernal names of Satan is Demo, the Demogorgon, which is why the Demogorgon is named that in Stranger Things, right? So that's just another name for Satan. So um, 77 is, is, and that's listed out in LeVay's books. But it also symbolizes, like, though, 77 was the number of Babylon for Aleister Crowley. And also Liber Oz, <coughs> which was the rights of man, this whole idea where you can do whatever you want. And if anybody thwarts, thwarts those rights, kill him. So he actually listed that out in this book, Libra. So that's 77. And then 93, Crowley in his kind of scribblings used the Kabbalah to give numbers, uh, give words their numerical value. And two very important words and concepts within his religion, agape and thelema, equaled 93. So agape means love, thelema means will. And actually the name, if you read um, the Book of the Law, which Crowley supposedly received by Satan, it was received by Satan. Satan dictated him the law as Awas in 1904 in Egypt. There's a commandment that all of the followers will be known as Thelemites. So Thelema is 93. So you'll see this 93 banding about. One of the more fascinating numbers that concludes the 9-11 event is 175, which is a series of rituals that you do to prove that you adore your God. And it's uh, Crowley's, I forgot the name of it, but it's Lever 170. So Lever means book. But it's a remarkable piece and also a bookend that shows the deep thelemic meaning and understanding of the perpetrators of the events of 9-11, that they would actually include a ritual that Crowley wrote. So all those thelemic numbers, and actually they were integrated within the Twin Towers, which were financed by Rockefeller family. David Rockefeller and Nelson Rockefeller provided the land for that and the UN of all things, the United Nations, which is both on Manhattan. But those buildings themselves were built at 110 stories. So those are both an 11, but they're both an 11 featuring the skyline. And the number 11 for Crowley also was a, it was also kind of a visual thing that symbolized two things coming together. So when that building got torn down, <clears throat> they built a new building that looks like a hexagram. It's like a totally another occult illuminated building. 
So, uh, yeah, 9-11, it was kind of like a human sacrifice that involved things like you would see from the Wicker Man. Like the Wicker Man, the, 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 the non-initiates get lured into this Wicker and burned to death. So, uh, yeah, so there's all, I mean, 9-11 was just an incredible event that people who are not initiated or do not understand the occult like me back then had no clue of really what happened. But I'm still trying to figure it out. It's 20 years since, you know. But it was yeah, uh, yeah. Me too. I, I just uh, it, I, I become ever increasingly disturbed learning this stuff because I mean now if I was to see an event like this happen, if I saw the number eleven, I'd be like, oh, okay, it's them. Right. Well, me too. Like I was I was once in Nevada, and there was a guy with a jacket ninety three, and I was like, I know exactly what you're doing, man. You're sending a signal out, you know, to your fellow fellowmites, people who believe that. So. You know, it's there. And I do believe that those were, those numbers were signaling numbers to all Thelemites that this is, you know, this is an event. 2001 was the date. 9-11 was the day. And, uh, you know, I think it, it was, uh, you know, it's kind of like was a time meridian, you know. I think it's uh, 2,000 years since, you know, Christ's, you know, birth, right? So, um, yeah, I, I just it's just an incredible Maso- high Masonic event with... You know, people who really thought, if you read, like, there was a guy, I think it was, uh, oh, okay, there was a guy, it was Lafley, or was the guy who designed it, and was literally receiving information from a demon, I forgot the name of it, like, he was, he had this, these ideas where they came from the demonic realm, from other beings, it's off the charts. Whoa, yeah, yeah, and then there's an interview, or really, if you want to get blown, have your mind blown out. It was an interview with, um, oh, I see his face. I can't remember his name. He runs a podcast, but he had like a literal sit down with this guy. And so you look up Laffoley, L-A-F-F-O-L-E-Y. And um, I'm going to find his name. Yeah, that is uh, extremely disturbing, obviously. (laughs) I mean, even if I type this in, it says, Paul Laffoley, painter inspired by time travel and aliens, dies at 80. But he was in Paranoia, Maver, uh, Paranoia Magazine, but he also, um, it was Freeman. Freeman interviewed him. You know who Freeman is? Oh, Freeman Fly. Yes, so he interviewed Paul Laffoley. So you, I would definitely recommend looking at that and who who that guy was. So. so all things being considered, could somebody have uh, known 9-11 was going to happen before it did just by oh. looking at numbers or... You know, I think that um, I think I do think that people knew 9/11 was going to happen. I do think that large amounts of people knew 9/11 to happen, and I believe uh, even larger amount of people knew it was an inside job once the day of it happened, right? But everybody was like too afraid to actually say something. Uh, the only person I didn't know was an inside job. It took me two or three years. I was like, something fishy's going on. But the real person was, uh, oh god. I can't remember these names now. But some people knew. They knew right away that it was uh, it was a huge stage event. It's really hard to believe it's a stage event because you also have to believe that all these other people are in on it. The media, the government, you know, all these other people just went along with it and, and the military. But that's exactly what happened. <coughs> so, and what's really sad about it is there's an entire uh, subset of humans out there, uh, followers of Islam, that got blamed for this bullshit, which is wrong on every level. I agree. Um, 
Yeah, so I mean, I think that I think that whole thing was just a big, you know, uh, yeah, it was just, it was it was a structured thing to start a war. You know, they needed a, they needed an idea to start a war, and that was it. You know? As Dave McGowan was the guy who knew the day that it happened, and Dave McGowan wrote uh, weird time weird scenes inside the canyon. He also wrote really good stuff on his website about the. Lincoln murder, Lincoln assassination. So Dave McGowan keyed into it right away. And also Bill <laughs> Cooper. Bill, Bill Cooper. Cooper, right. No, you're yeah. right. So you're right. So it's Bill Cooper and um, Dave McGowan. So they knew. And Bill, you know, the thing is, is like we talk, I remember we talking on our last show about how the elites get rid of people and put somebody into their place. Do you remember that? Uh, that sounds like a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, I vaguely remember talking. I talk about that. But who did who who Bill Cooper died, and who got inserted into that kind of space? Alex Jones. Alex Jones. Right. <laughs> and Bill Cooper's death is highly suspicious. They are antagonizing him, and you know he actually predicted his own death. Like they're going to get me. So he, he, I think he saw it coming. One thing that I uh, learned recently is if you're looking at an obituary and you see the number 11 a bunch of times, that means that there's a good chance that person's not even really dead. Really? Interesting. I didn't know that. Not surprised. I just sent you a a young picture of Bill Cooper. I came across it. I was like, oh, man, he looks like an American military guy. (laughs) Yeah, he's got that Captain America look. Yeah, he does. I mean, the guy was a giant, dude. Before he, you know, before the really the internet, he was it was uh, "Behold a Peril, Pill Horse" was really one of the original underground books. So, oh my god, that book! Oh, I you know I read it um, way after the fact, of course, as an adult, and it was just every bit as impactful as I could possibly imagine it being. Uh, you know, if you were to read it when Bill Cooper was first coming around, yeah, there was a uh, he did a series about the UN, like a bunch of different subjects. He titled it something, but those for me were very influential because I listened to all of them. And he talked about the the waiting room inside the UN with the black cube of Saturn. So he had, he was keyed into a lot of this occult stuff, you know, before nine eleven. So it's uh, he's and a he mar- was, remarkable guy. Yeah, he was also uh, one of the only people and first people to call out all of these disinformation agents right. that are going out there. Yeah, he was he was against Jones, right? So I mean, very much so. Yeah, I mean, Joan's parents are seeing, like, the intelligence. It's just a big mess. Yeah, even this recent thing, you know, since we're on the subject, I just got to ask, what do you think of this whole thing with Alex Jones getting kicked off of social media and getting banned and all of that stuff? I don't know. You know, it's just very odd. I think that, you know, if you wanted to give somebody credibility, you do these public things that everybody knows about, right? Like... Uh, maybe people have suspicions, and his handlers said, "Okay, well, let's give him some credibility. Let's do this. Kick him off social media." So, you know, I do, yeah, it's just very suspicious. So, I mean, I, I, you know, I, there's things. Yeah, I mean, there's real pro, there's real problems there with Jones, man. Real problems. So, yeah, and especially, I mean. Uh, Jones, he was, this is a point I like to make, especially recently, he was this huge conspiracy guy, you know, very much against the government, and then suddenly overnight he turns into the spokesperson for the Republican Party. Right, oh, dude, he was like the primary head for Trump, right? Yeah. Um, and he's he's sitting there with uh, Stone, this longtime Republican operative for 40 years, Roger Stone. 
So he turned that right for Trump, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's Got, him, Got him elected. You know, but I mean, you know, the Jones people, that's probably where, where that base went out. Once Jones told about um, the spirit cooking within the Podesta emails, people were like, well, this is a whole nightmare. We got to get out and vote. So a lot of those people may have been on the fence of voting. And they're like, well, the Christians went out and said, nope, not going to go there, dude. Not going to vote for Hillary. So um, I was actually very fortunate because if Hillary became president, we would be in real trouble. So. Yeah, all things being even, uh, I don't think, uh, you, you know, regardless of what's going on, I don't think anybody would want Hillary in there. Oh, no, man. No, not at all. She, when she did the, her most recent thing, I was looking at her, I was like, this person's criminally insane. I actually didn't even look at her like she was like saying anything legit. It was just like a bunch of crazy, deranged stuff. I was like, whoa. So, yeah, I mean, we can get into that subject, but. Um, yeah, so I mean, I think a lot of suspicious stuff is happening. I do believe that if you look at this whole caravan thing, you look at the look at the um, oh, what is it, the Kavanaugh hearings, where that was clearly like a structured event for Max propaganda benefits. If you look at this kind of David Ho guy, the anti-gun thing, you, these are there are people actively groups, not just on the left but also on the right, who are involved in massive propaganda tactical campaigns you know that are trying to have maximum effect upon the public <coughs> so you got to watch out and so that's this whole jones thing that he got kicked off of social media may be one of these things you know hey everybody look jones is legit he just got kicked off of facebook and twitter no he got kicked off of youtube this guy's really fighting for us right and, and kind of circling back to uh, a guy like Crowley or some of these Satanist types, when you think about it, these cults, these secret societies, these clubs, uh, basically what they are is control. It's mind control. It's you have to obey me and do what I say. So true. That's like the distillation. I did an interview where I said mind control is the, hap- is the, is the handmaiden of the occult. It's always there. People getting into your brain and taking you over whatever, where they're trying to traumatize you make you afraid. I do believe 9-11 was like this mass traumatizing event, which is true. It's traumatizing. So people then are, once they're traumatized, they're susceptible to suggestion. So just like you said, I'm terrified. Oh, Osama bin Laden, Osama bin Laden. And people just go, oh yeah, Osama bin Laden. I don't have any evidence. We'll just say that, right? So um, if you look at a lot of these guys who are into the occult, they're all into mind control, man. They're all into mind. They all read books on mind control. They talk about it. LeVay was talking about mind control. If you look at uh, Michael Aquino, who was kind of an offshoot of LeVay, he wrote, uh, he was a psychological operations guy from the military, wrote a, wrote a book from mind war, no, from, from psyops to mind war, you know, which means that he was trying to actually advance psyops into a constant state of war on individuals' minds. Uh, it's a fascinating book. If you ever want to read some military style, um, mind control stuff it's available it's called oh Fun. yeah actually i i got a copy off amazon and i read through the first chapter and i was so disgusted so pissed off and so angry at what i was reading i stopped reading it yeah it's amazing it's amazing got through one chapter before realizing that this there's something seriously wrong with justifying spying on your own people period right i mean there's real problems with that too so 
Yeah. I mean, so, I mean, it's interesting that you brought that up, man. A lot of mine, and it's a lot of it happening today. And, you know, it's, there's all different types of mind control. But really, I think um, you really don't have to implant something in somebody's brain. You don't have to implant a receiver or anything. You just give them really crappy ideas, pound it in. What did George Bush say? Catapult the propaganda? You know, so he just kept saying that. I mean, he openly said it with a smile, like, ha ha, I'm doing this to you, right? So it's a, it's a strange world we live in, man. And, and with this Bin Laden character, I mean, if, if you want to call him that, um, the way that I see it, he's pretty much the fake terrorist from the book 1984. Right. Goldstein? Yeah, Goldstein. Absolutely. Totally agree with you. And I mean, that it's like somebody read 1984 and didn't take it as a cautionary tale. They took it as a blueprint, you know? Like, oh, this is a great idea. Let's have a fake enemy. Let's drug people down, give them victory gin, victory cigarettes. Let's watch them all the time. Let's uh, control them, you know? That's really it. And the whole concept of the uh, double talk, that is just so cool nowadays. And somebody censoring everything, all that stuff. And also the um, the guy that helps uh, Winston and Julia, the uh, the fake uh, the fake rebel, the Alex Jones type. There's right. a character that That's in the right. oh man, it's amazing. And like the Ministry of Truth, they're all pyramids, you know. So, yeah. yeah. So yeah, it's that's an incredible book. I need to read it again. Look, man, I wish I ha- I didn't have to do this, but I gotta run, man. I gotta I gotta cut this short. I'm really sorry. Let's re- oh, let's oh, redo no, it another one. Let's yeah, do another got- one in the future. We'll talk about sure, a different yeah. subject, but uh, my family. We got some info out there. Um, yeah. If you like, did, did you want to take another minute and just do a little closing, uh, give some plugs, or do yeah. a final? Yeah, or anything? thanks for having me on your show. It's great to be back with you. And my movie is The Smiley Face Killers, who's uh, it's on Vimeo, V I M E O. You can look up William Ramsey or check that out. And I would highly recommend everybody watch that, particularly people in college or younger men, uh, because they, you are the target, and you do not want this to happen to you. So. Please do check it out. It's it's reasonably priced, and I think it's worth the value. Did you want to introduce your kitty to us? <laughs> oh, no, my cat's bothering <laughs> me. I, the thing is, is that like once I sit down on a chair, she thinks it's time to just like she's got me mobile. I mean, immobile. So she just bothered me the whole time. She's looking at me right now. She's staring at me. <laughs> I gotta go, man. Thanks. Take All care. right. Well, really appreciate having you on. Definitely yeah, want I appreciate to you as well. Thank you. Cheers. All right.